You're listening to What Brings You In, a weekly series featuring psychology talk with therapists Ryan and Carrie. Have something to say? Want your question answered? Visit ryananswers.com slash podcast to get in touch. So welcome to the show. We're going to be talking about grief today. You can find the show notes at ryananswers.com slash podcast. Um, so people, when, when you talk about grief, they almost always think of death. Yes. Right? They're kind of... And death of a loved one. Death of a loved one, especially. That's kind of like what people equate with, with grief. And then you have this model, the, the five-step... Mm-hmm. Uh, starts with denial. Denial. Yeah. Denial. Anger. Anger. Bargaining. Depression. depression acceptance. acceptance. Right. And so I remember when I was in, in school, I learned about this not through like um, a class, but through my own personal counseling experience. So my dad went totally unexpectedly when I was, uh, I think I was 21 or 22. So super, super young. He was, he was 52. And mm-hmm. so I went in and saw this counselor and he's telling me about this model. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know if mm-hmm. that really fits with me. And he's like, well, you know, Kubler-Ross, uh, she, Elizabeth was this, this doctor's name, is psychiatrist. She said she didn't go through her own stages, but I, I did a bit of looking into it. And, and her quote was actually about clarifying those stages don't represent what happens after somebody dies. It, it's people who are coping with their own death through terminal illness. So it's been often kind of people Mis- throw that out there. Oh, yeah, you're going to go through these these stages and, you know, that's how you process things. So tell everybody about what it means to process because I remember being like 21 and going through this stuff and being like I have to process and then be like I have what does no idea mean? what that is at all yeah. so what when when therapists say processing feelings processing loss like what are we talking about um, to me that means finding meaning so okay. when I process things in my own life or when I help other people process that means kind of understanding first what the first interpretation of the event was so how did i internalize it how did i read it how did how did i face it because generally we're talking about past events right so how did i face it and then what did i learn from it did i learn sometimes we learn great things and sometimes we learn terrible things from experience so what did i learn and then what meaning does this bring to my life currently so what did i carry along with me um and that's what it means to process to see what emotions were going on body reaction Right during the event and then afterwards. The question that I always get from people that I will reflect to you now is, how does that help? So I'm heartbroken, yeah, and I come and talk to you, and you help me discover meaning, and you help me to figure out what it yeah. is that I'm going through and I'm feeling. Like so, what? But you're not fixing anything, right? You're not bringing my loved one back. You're not bringing the relationship back. Nothing's changing outside this. Right. So how does this this system or this this procedure of processing feelings how does that help people um so i can talk from a personal experience so when i process when i process things what it allows me is i feel more in charge of my life so it's not that life is living me or i'm kind of surviving or i'm being swept away which is kind of what i felt before i processed things like i'm powerless i don't even know what's going on it gives me a sense of ownership over my life, okay. right? And the sense of ownership, like when you own a house or when you own a car, um, it's very much yours. So then you feel like you belong to yourself. I don't know if that makes sense at all. Well, it, it does to me because I've been through that and I know what you mm. mean. But maybe we can expand on it for people who may not be able to, to resonate with that mm-hmm. from a personal mm-hmm. perspective. To belong to yourself 
what does it mean to not belong to yourself? So for me, not belonging to myself is kind of, um, I can react without an explanation. So if you ask me, why are you mad? I don't know, would be my response if right. I'm not in charge of myself, if I don't belong to myself. Or right? you would give an answer that is not like. entirely accurate. Hmm. You, you'll you'll bring up some secondary issue, let's yeah. put it that way. You'll say, I'm mad because of X, when really there's like this deep simmering stuff going on. Yeah. And if you don't know about that, like Harry's talking about, uh, you can't process it, then it just stays there. Right? That's kind of the effect to me of not processing. And also it's like compounding, right? So maybe... If I hadn't processed, I also lost my father. I lost my father last year. And if I hadn't processed a little bit about what that meant to me, um, then maybe even now I would have issues with certain things, right? So it's only been a year and I still have times where I'm like like overwhelmed by grief. That's so recent. Um, But if I didn't give myself permission to be overwhelmed by grief, I might be crying in front of my children or crying in front of my husband or like literally leave a room for a second and then come back. Then I, I... I don't think I could navigate socially if I didn't give myself permission to process that emotion, right? Yeah, and a lot of people that I that I work with, I, I don't know if it's something specific to this area or if it's just that people are very uncomfortable culturally with grief and, hmm. and death and dying, but many people really want to hide a lot from their kids, too much, yeah. because if your kids... Here, here's the backstory to that and where I'm coming from. If your kids don't see you cry ever... They won't have permission to cry. Right. They don't have permission to cry. They don't think it's okay. They'll question themselves. They'll question why they're doing it. If somebody makes fun of them for crying, they will probably buy into that Mm -hmm. because they've never seen you do it. So having healthy expression. So obviously if if you're, you know, in a a very emotionally damaged, distraught state and that's all the time and you're crying all the time and there's dysfunction, that's not healthy to show your kids Mm -hmm. because that will be very... Um, destabilizing for them. Yeah. But if we're talking like an event that is proportional, like if you go through a sad event and you have a sad response, there's nothing human. There's nothing imbalanced about that. It's exactly human, totally. Hmm. But we've even been focusing on grief in in the framework of death. But to to me, grief is a reaction or. Um, a series of, of steps you take following loss. Yes, I agree. Like, yeah, so, so there are many types of loss. And so I think it's really important. One thing that helps me to process is to break down exactly what it is that I have lost. So hmm. to think about the different ways that you can have loss, think about you can lose a person, you can lose a relationship, a relationship. you can lose parts of yourself. Yeah. And to be specific, because I know a lot of people will probably be like, well, what does that even mean? Well, say, for example, that you feel you're going to be a great success and then you hit a certain age and your life's not panning out the way that you thought it would. So you lost that part of you. You lost that part of you and the way you thought things would be. Age, too. Like not being... Like losing your youth. Losing your youth, right? You can lose... Your beauty, your youth. Um, I also think that there's... And I know that there's untangible loss. So, for example, if you didn't have a good childhood... Yes. That's you, a loss. You, you never you have ne- a chance. You're, ne- you're never going to right. have a good childhood. And you can think, and there, there are more people than I think anybody would really realize. I would say like 20 to 30% mm-hmm. of clients we see somewhere in that neighborhood 
has some element of that because if you grew up with dysfunctional parents and you're bitter about it or you say things like well i want to give my kids a better life there's probably some level of that that you're experiencing there's also perpetual loss right so for example specifically from the way i understand is like the loss of a child is a perpetual loss oh yeah you know there's not even a name for that like if we think about it when you lose a spouse what do you call the person that lost a widow right if you lose a parent what do you call an orphan if you lose a child I'd never thought of that. That's a really good, it's like a shower thought. There's no name because it's just unimaginable. Like there's, it's just an unimaginable loss, right? And it's a perpetual loss because when their friends graduate from high school, your kid didn't graduate, right? Yeah. It's a loss forever. So just to touch on that word trigger, uh, there are things that remind you or activate pain that you have experienced. So if you've lost like a a parent and then you drive past the ice cream shop that you always went to, that would be a trigger. So Carrie's saying, like, when you lose a child, there's just, like, a never-ending Sorrow amount of, of everything. Trigger. It's really tough to do. Right? It's really hard to do. And a lot of times, too, there's another type of loss where you can lose somebody before they're actually physically gone. It's true. And like Alzheimer's. Th- that's a great example. It's not where I was going, but that's a really mm-hmm. good one because that person is not accessible to you anymore. Yeah. And they never yeah. will be. Yeah. And so having this disconnect because you're so used to associating a physical person with certain personality right that you love or that you know and learning that that's not the case that's just this is just like a a vehicle Mm -hmm. right we're we're Mm -hmm. up here that's hard so it was my first or second year and i was seeing this one client and her mom had a terminal illness and she paused and it was one of those pauses where you know somebody wants to say something, but they have some kind of apprehension, right? They, they think yeah. you're going to judge them, or maybe they're going to cry, mm. or maybe it is something offensive, whatever it is. So we talked about it, and I encouraged her that this is a safe space. There's yeah. zero judgment. Don't You don't have to worry about my personal opinions. This is, I'm here as a professional. And she's like, well, I kind of want her to die because yeah. I feel like I've already grieved. And that hit me in a big way because that was the first time I was young I think I was 23 or 22 at this point and I hadn't really considered that you can grieve for a loss before the person actually is gone yeah that it's also smart it's a it's a strong lesson um to not say sorry right before like we're we're really conditioned to say someone dies and we say oh I'm sorry for your loss I do it Mm. now even Mm. but when I'm in this space I don't because you have no idea if this person right. you don't know if they're happy about if it if they're happy they're about relieved. it if they're they're guilty about it cuz you know they feel responsible for the death you don't know if they're relieved if they're happy if they're joyful if they're ter- terrified of it you know you don't know mm-hmm. what the emotion is going to be so that loss was something that the processing for her was not i need to process my mother's death it was the loss of her feeling like she was a good person she mm. now felt like she was a bad person because, because she, she wanted was, her mom to She go. was on edge for months and her, her mother had outlived her prognosis. And so it went from being, oh, I'm so scared you're going to go to I'm tired of feeling scared. I'm tired of feeling anxious. Yeah. And I just want you to go already because you're not going to get better. And, and I'm, you're in pain. And you're probably. in pain. Yeah. And I'm in pain. And I'm sick of dealing this. It's taking a toll on my marriage or my myself, yeah. my life. Yeah. And so helping her to deal with that was what you would process yeah. so that would be again the caregiver of burnout right? yeah. Yeah, so there are many thing. different forms of that and loss can t- 
take all kinds of different shapes, can have all kinds of effects. And I think that with every loss, there is a gain as well. Like, like post-traumatic growth kind of thing that you're well, referring to? Well, I'm talking more in the sense of, um, so I took macroeconomics as one of my electives in school. What? <laughs> so it's an interesting I, class. Did you? I would never take, take that, no? 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 Okay. I don't even understand what the words that you just said mean, right? Macroeconomics <laughs> is the study of like large-scale economic forces. Okay. So don't worry, I'm not talking about anything to do with those. I'm talking about a very specific concept I pulled from that that really stuck with me. It's the, the term opportunity cost. Okay. Most people, so you're familiar with that term, I yeah. would assume. Most yeah. people are. So opportunity cost is the idea that for every decision you make, you have to forego some other decision. Of course. So when you're talking about a loss, so you lose a pet, tragic, but then you gain freedom. You don't have to have somebody watch your pet if you travel. You don't yeah. have to take care of your pet. So for everything you do, there's, there's this kind of the other gain. side of things. I also think that, um, you know, one of the, the things that taught me the most in life and probably changed my relationship other than learning about attachments, which we talked on episode one, but another thing that changed my relationship with my husband tremendously was one of my friends actually, when she was 32, she died of a, oh yeah, God. she died of a something like a, she had like a, uh, an aneurysm. Um, and her husband was 33. They had three small children like I had at that time. Wow. And yeah, and, and since that moment, which was what, five years ago already, maybe? No, less, 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 less years. Um, every time I have a fight with, because they had a huge fight right before she passed. Oh, no. I know. And it was about something stupid, probably like who's going to drive the kids to and from something. Um, and since that fight, because I talked to him a lot afterwards as a friend, just like helping him mm. through and. I was actually helping him tell his kids that their mother had passed because he wanted oh to tell them goodness. that they were on a trip and stuff like that. Um, I told him, no, we have to tell them about reality. We have to tell them their mom's not coming home. Yeah, you can't tell them. Kids no, you can't. You have trip. to tell them. You have to t- but yeah, but it's scary, right? Telling a four-year-old that their mom. How mo- do you? I can't I imagine. Yeah, but we had, like, he he did. I was there with him, but he, he did. Um, and since that time, Ryan, every time I have a fight or I'm mm-hmm. about to have a fight because I get angry with my husband, I think. You get angry at your husband? I do. I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> he knows I do. Um, and I get angry. I think, would this be something that I would fight about if I know he would be dying tomorrow? And 99.9% of the times, there are those point one. well, I will fight. I won't fight, right? Because yeah. it, it just gives, like, death gives life perspective and everything. It does. And everything. So our interactions. I was just with a friend of mine that had a girl from their school lost a mom in a car crash and they said this is a great opportunity for all those girls to appreciate their mothers like to appreciate their family like if you just take a little bit and just okay let's embrace the fear of death okay what can i learn from death does it change do you find depending on when it occurs like have your responses changed if you have lost if you don't mind me asking Mm -hmm. a personal question have your responses changed if you lose somebody as a teenager to a 20 year old yeah i think so i would say so I think probably because I was more capable of coping with it as I got older, so I could process it more. Again, mm-hmm. we were saying that word again. So I could process it more, so I could get meaning, I could sit with my emotion. I, yeah. I wasn't scared of it when I was younger. I lost my, my great-grandmother, who was a very big part of our lives and my life. Um, and I remember not even really thinking that she had died. I, I was yeah. 10, I think, and I was like, uh. well, <laughs> like I didn't even really understand the meaning of it. Proximity, I think, matters too. Yeah. Like, I lost my my rabbit last week, which people 
it's a rabbit right mm. like some some of my friends would be like it's a fucking rabbit dude they live six years tops they're a prey animal like you make them in a stew like get over it would kind of be the yeah no. the message um but it wasn't into, i'm not that old i just turned 32 so for perspective but when i was younger i was more insulated from losses because you have older family members who they are the mm-hmm. ones who are on the front lines right yeah. they're absorbing most of the pain most of the kind of gritty details they're making the plans they're they're doing all the hard stuff yeah. and i'm so grateful for that because i cannot imagine having to do those things at a younger age so even though it was you know quote unquote just a rabbit um to be holding something as it dies which is what happened in my case mm-hmm. was so hard and so <laughs> different from different Everything forms of, of loss oh man yeah crushing uh, and even in, in terms of that kind of blocking, like we talked about, what prevents you from, from speaking of it, it was, I would say, as powerful in terms of the raw emotion and how hurt I was to losing any human I've ever lost. And that's something I found difficult to say. Even now, I feel like I shouldn't... Him, you don't, we don't have permission to do no, that. No, I shouldn't say that because that's like offensive. No, but it's to your not. Fa- I, I it's know love. it isn't, but that's one of those things where there's this idea that your sadness is proportional to how much you cared or loved. I... I'm just learning now with this most recent loss in my life that that is not true. No. It has there's so many other factors: proximity, your age, your ability to talk it through or process it, who supports you. Like there are so many factors. So if anybody out there is listening and feels like there's a loss which you think is too insignificant, or that you're just you need to suck it up, no, that yeah, that's a that's a dangerous thing to say to yourself because mm-hmm. that can. And I think that we have to, like, we have to accept, I think we've talked about this before, too, that we we are created in such a way, like, we are human beings, and there's so many parts of us, and they Mm. all are, like, we can't live without a heart, we can't live without a liver, we can't, okay, we can't live without emotions, so if I'm having a reaction to something, that's valuable, I have to see why I'm having it. Yes, that's the gist of it, and some people say that, well, I don't want to do that, it's uncomfortable, yes, we're not saying it isn't uncomfortable, it is, like, trust me, it it, It sucks, it it sucks. (laughs) Uh, coming in here today and just talking about and revisiting, you know, all the terrible losses we've suffered isn't really like a super fun episode, to be totally honest yeah. with you. We were having like a way funner, more light convo before we, we started. But it's something that's important. People need to talk about this stuff. And there's that whole Bell Let's Talk. Have you seen mm-hmm. that? Yeah. You no. Know, the Bell is a telecommunications company here and they sponsor uh, a certain day, a mental health day. Mm-hmm. And for every time somebody shares their little post of, it says, you know, let's talk about mental health. Um, we That's will beautiful. donate, I think it's 10 cents a share or something. But the thing that kind of gets me and why I really wanted to do this episode and why this, this podcast is, I find it's a very virtuous message. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Everybody talks about talking mm. about it, but very few people talk about it. Yeah. Because it's, it's, hard. it's hard. It is uncomfortable. It's not really it's like high on your to-do list. Yeah, it's you know, hard. It's not. There's a million other things you'd rather do than go pay somebody to dig through the your crap life. of your life and leave feeling like emotionally therapy's drained. The other day I was at the supermarket and I asked this lady, she had a really pretty necklace with like babies on them. And I said, oh, how many kids do you have? And she said, I have three alive and one dead. That's a very interesting answer. I've I know. I've heard that before. Now, which I, I stood there for a second. I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Like, I kind of started panicking. And then I said, well, your, your four, I said, the four babies on your necklace look beautiful. And she said, yes, they were beautiful. And then she told me the one that had passed away is last name. This is on the line to buy groceries. Yeah. 
because um, you're a therapist you could sense it but but i thought maybe that was beautiful that this woman one could say it because yeah. maybe most people wouldn't and two that i was able to let her talk about her son yeah you don't go into fixing mode no right? i just said oh like you that know, that panicky feeling that you described i think is probably the most common reaction people would have and most people would succumb to that and try to comfort solve or escape yeah yeah and i, I said, got what it. was his name and she told me his name and what did he do i know oh, he was a pilot oh and Right, and we just, and then okay, great. And oh, she, this wasn't a baby. No, no, no. This was she like a grown him. person. Yeah, grown person, oh, grown man. person. Yeah, and and then she left. Went about her day. And went about her day, and I went around my day. How do you recognize if you're a non-processor? Like, if you're one of those people who bottles. One of the things about bottling is you bottle the fact that you bottle, so you don't even <laughs> know that you're doing that. And so you would hear this and be like, "Yeah, that sucks for people who do that." But you're probably doing it too. Meanwhile, you're probably doing it. How do people recognize that? What are uh, the symptoms? I would say that if someone were to ask you, how are you feeling? You wouldn't be able to name the emotion. Mm-hmm. So on like ignorance on what your emotional state is. If you answer fine, good, bad, no. Like very generic. What does that mean? Right? So if you're bottling, you'll tend to be very vague with emotions. I think also if you have anxiety around being vulnerable like hmm, if that's when, another great yeah, yeah i true. think it's it's much easier to tell if you're a bottler if you are uh, married or in a very close relationship i think because you'll probably be you'll, you'll probably get a very specific set of complaints mm-hmm. so i think for for when i approach this it's usually men usually avoidant men mm-hmm. as, as we discussed in our first episode who are, who are bottlers what I would usually do to help that person gain awareness is I would ask them how their partners see them and why their partners would have those complaints. So if your partner's saying, I can't talk to you or you don't talk to me or I don't know what you're thinking. Or they ask constantly, what's wrong? What's, I can see something's wrong. wrong. What's yeah. wrong? I and can see something's wrong. The complaint from the bottler would be, my wife is constantly nagging mm-hmm. me or she always starts things or she always wants to talk. And the partner's complaint would be the exact opposite. He never wants to talk. Yeah. He never tells me what's going on. I don't know what's happening and I feel alone. So if you're hearing those things from your partner, you're saying those things, that's another big clue. All right. Well, thank you for listening. I know it's a difficult conversation. Thank you, Ryan, for let's bringing it up and talking about death and what grief looks like. So you can find the show notes at ryananswers.com and I hope uh, you'll hear us again. Yes. And if you enjoy our conversations, we are here weekly. So subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And thanks, everyone, for listening.